Everybody, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. And today I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation with Steve White. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. Well, it's so great to be here. Some of you guys out there might know my good friend, Norton Rainey. Norton said, hey, John, you got to get to know Steve. He has this amazing journey, and I can't wait to hear your whole story, how you have lived this life through incredible circumstances to rise to, I believe today you're the new president of one of the big divisions at Comcast Cable. I most recently was, did that for 11 years, and now I'm president and special counsel to our CEO. And you started from, I mean, your very humble start. And through that, though, your life, your principles, your values, how you've leaned into your faith. Steve is coming out with a book called Uncompromising. And we've talked about this a lot, and our community knows that, but it's about, you know, when, A, how do you find out what is that why, that purpose? You guys know I'm huge on purpose, but how do you actually find that purpose that you just personally have an unwavering commitment to? Because when you do that, this is what Steve and I were talking about before we got started. When you do that and you can operate from that place, you are going to lead that life. So the use of your life outlives your life. That is a true impactful life. That is an, a lasting legacy. And you know, one of the things I talk about, Steve, when I had my accident, you know, 10 years ago, and I should not be here the first five weeks I had post-traumatic amnesia. And I have three memories from that whole period of time, but one I'll never forget. I had to get my first brain surgery and the doctor came in and basically said, you know, tell him my wife, he wasn't talking to me that the chances you succeeding or this having a good outcome is not very good. And even though I just had this amazing near-death experience in God's presence, (laughs) after this doctor left the room, I was convinced that next weekend was my funeral. Mm. And you know what? The first thing I thought about, Steve, was, is my wife and my kids, are they going to be okay? Right? And you know what that is? That's inheritance, right? That is what you leave to somebody. But then what I really started thinking about is once I kind of processed through that is, hey, what have I left in my wife, in my kids, in my friends, in my colleagues, in my community that made this a better place, made them better people, something that they would remember long after I was gone because I had such an impact in their life. And I'm like, you know what? That truly is legacy. And it was in that moment I realized had I died 10 years ago, the legacy I would have left is not the one I really wanted to, not the one that I was even aiming toward. And I got to tell you, that was a beautiful moment that I realized, you know what? I actually have the power to connect to that purpose in a true and meaningful way and live a life that actually would be one that would outlive my life. Mm. And I did have the power to rewrite my script. And that is a life, you know, you have lived. And so with that, I mean, there's so much, your bio is amazing. I mean, I would love to read this whole thing, but I would rather actually hear it from you. So Steve, if you could rewind the tape and kind of bring us back and talk about your journey, because folks, what we're going to be talking about is how to connect to that why. And then in doing that, how do you live that out in your life without compromising? So with that, Steve, I'd love for you to just kind of share your journey. Great, John. First of all, you're a great inspiration. And I just love listening to you, especially when you talk about outlive. You know, there's a phrase out there, we die twice. We die the day they put us in the grave 
and the last time someone mentions our name. I think that's something we all should be striving for. Long after we're gone, people, not just family, they're still mentioning our name, hopefully in very positive terms of impact. But I'm like a lot of kids, uh, John grew up, single mother, raised four boys by herself. She had an eighth grade education. She was a high school janitor for 35 years and raised four boys that are all like, what I like to say are taxpayers. And so we had a great dad, but it just didn't work out. And so my mother made the decision when she was 29, she had plenty of drive, but didn't have a driver's license, had never held her own job because she was a homemaker supporting the family. And I remember at 11 years old, she would take us on the weekends to join her. She was a maid at a motel. And John, this is not an H with a hotel. This is M with a motel. This is the one where you drive up. There's no spa. There are no elevators. You pull your car and your door's right there. That was the the door's on the outside of the the room. The door's on the outside. This (laughs) was Indianapolis, Indiana, near the state fairgrounds. And I learned a lot of valuable lessons. And while my mother's potential and desire was greater than being a maid, it was clear to me and her that her purpose was to ensure that these four little boys had a life that was better than hers. And so whatever she had to do to create that pathway for her four boys, that's what she was going to do. And so when you're cleaning motel rooms, John, you learn work ethic you learn attitude, you learn commitment, you learn family, you learn some really unique values when you're cleaning up after someone at a motel. And that's where that ends. I also learn how to deal with some very difficult people. That's exactly right. I bet your mom had, uh, was a woman of steel and velvet, wasn't she? That's exactly right. And that's where the attitude comes in because Shakespeare has a quote, John, Nothing is good. Nothing is bad. Thinking makes it so. Mm. So in that situation, we thought about this as an opportunity, not a handout. We thought about it as an opportunity. And so along the way, when you get those kind of values and you grow up where you understand the value of a dollar, you understand the value of family, uh, life, quite honestly, becomes really, really easy. And what was significant for me, John, I have made a lot of decisions in my life, but there are only 12 that have really mattered. And my mother helped me understand that those big decisions are the ones that you get right. And so certainly, uh, you know, declaring God as my Lord and Savior was one of those important decisions, making a decision not to be a victim when there were, I was set up to be the perfect victim, no father, very poor, living in the housing projects of Indianapolis. I had all the ingredients to be a victim, but somewhere along the way, not sure how, I made a decision that I was not going to be a victim. So fast forward, I go to Indiana University. I get a great education. I leave Indiana University owing zero. Uh, How unbelievable is that? I received financial aid. I was a resident assistant, uh, left Indiana University, and for the last 35 years, I've been leading men and women throughout uh, several different corporations, most recently with Comcast, where I was president of Comcast West, almost $18 billion in revenue with 30,000 employees across 13 states, one of the top five leaders 
for a Fortune uh, 20 company. How does that happen? Only in America and only through God can something like that happen. So I could go on and on, John, but that is a quick bio. I'm currently married to a wonderful woman named Barbita, and we have a beautiful young son. His name is Stevie. He's nine years old. And John, check this out. We tried to have children for a number of years. It didn't happen. Uh, we lost a child along the way. And then it just happened naturally. We got pregnant. Here's the miracle, John. We share the same birthday, December 18th. So here's this miracle baby that comes along. So naturally, we named him, or I did, my wife gave me permission. We named him Stephen Andrew White II because we know that this is a miracle child that was placed on this earth for a very unique reason. And so part of my life's work now is to ensure that Stevie understands his why so he can live the best life he can live. I love that. Same birthday after trying for so long. What a miracle. Uh, that well, it was almost like God said, look, I want to make sure everybody understands what's happening here. This is not some science experiment. This is not something else. This is a miracle. And I want everybody to understand that this is a miracle. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. And, you know, I want to bring you back to something you said about your mom. As a young boy, you know, growing up, you know, in the project, see your mom working so hard and what you saw from her, right? Just her radical sense of just responsibility to your lives, right? Basically sacrificing, you know, her joy, her pleasure, her time in full service of you. And I'm guessing that there was days when that was really hard, really well, hard. She's a woman of great faith, John, and she will tell you there were a number of nights that she fell asleep crying, asking for guidance and assistance. We never saw it. She was very good at that. But there's something, though, John, when you find your purpose, and it's almost people say, well, Steve, how do you find your purpose? How do you find your why? And I always say, what would you do that you're somewhat good at, but you would do it for free? And so I started thinking about it. And it was clear to my mother that, you know, she would do this under any circumstances. She got tapped into her purpose and why very early on. Now, I didn't realize that's what she was doing at 11 years old. But now that I reflect, there is a certain level of responsibility that comes with that. And John, let me just add this one point. And this is something I think we've lost in our country. Certainly, we've lost in our families that we need to get back. There's a level of expectation. And at the time, my mother didn't see it as something heroic. She said, I am the mother of four boys. It is my responsibility to do the right thing, to care for my children. So somewhere we've lost this responsibility that you have to take care of yourself, your family. And yes, the government is there to help and support. We were on welfare for three years. My mother viewed it as a hand up, not a hand out. And that's why we have these systems in place to provide Americans a hand up when needed, but not as a crutch or a handout. And so uh, learning those life lessons were very impactful. Yeah, that's huge. And, you know, just observing your mom growing up, you know, up through the time you went to college, 
And I'm sure that you know, there's so many people listening right now that have been through some life defining circumstances, right? And you get to that place, like either that happened to me, right? Or you know what, maybe that happened for me. Maybe that's something that actually prepared me, instilled in me what's allowing me to actually live into my purpose, my calling in this season of my life. But a lot of people get stuck back in that other mindset. What do you think for you, Steve, allowed you to actually focus on moving forward versus being maybe defined from your circumstances growing up? Well, number one, very simple. I didn't want to let my mother down. I mean, that was mm -hmm. number one. Because one of the early lessons, John, that I learned was this was not a popular decision for a 29-year-old African-American woman with four boys to leave her husband in Florida and move to Indianapolis. You can imagine how unpopular this was. It was unpopular with us as kids because we loved our dad. It was, and so I learned a very lesson early on. If you live your life trying to be popular or doing things that others believe you should do, you're going to live a wasted life. So that's the first thing is you have to be connected to what's important. What is your purpose? What is your why? And you can't manage by what others think as you move forward. And those are the things that make a difference. Let me, let me put a little bit more framework around it. 1986, John, I was fired. I was on the fast track with a company called American Hospital Supply. I was a salesperson and I went to the administrative office. I was the youngest sales leader they had in their history. I was 23 years old and I was feeling myself as my friends like to say, I was puffed up. I was the man. It was all about me. Now, I was not a crazy person, but as I reflect on it, my decision making was all about me. So you're, a little, you're a little bit cocky. Yeah, I was a little bit cocky. Success <laughs> happened really fast for me. And I realized that I lost sight of why I was there. I was there to lead men and women to help them be the best they can be. And I got fired. And at the time, I had to make a very important decision. Was this happening to me, as you say, or was this happening for my benefit? And through that process, John, through that very painful, embarrassing process, I recognized that my purpose is to create an opportunity or table prosperity for all, not just me. Now, was that a conscious thought, Steve, at that age that you had? Like, you know what? Part of my role is to help other people succeed. Is that, was that something that you were actively acting on or is that something you realized later? I realized after being fired, and here's what happened to me, John, the same company now, I was working for a division of American Hospital Supply called American Converters. We sold disposable drapes and gowns. There was another gentleman who worked in the distribution division, an African-American executive named Darnell Martin. He's no longer with us, but I write about him in my book. He called me the day I got fired, John. And he says, Steve, how are you doing? I said, what do you think? How am I doing? I just got fired. And he said, I know, but I'm asking you, how are you doing? I said, I'm distraught. I'm embarrassed. He said, Steve, I see something more in you than you see in yourself. So what if we do this? What if I grab you by your shoulders, move you from Detroit, where I was based? I'll move you to Chicago. You can work in my division. I don't have anything specific for you, 
but you'll serve as an advisor working for one of the men on my team. And I said, why would you do that? He says, Steve, because that is my goal and that is my job is to create opportunities for smart people. So just at that moment, John, I didn't realize what was happening to me or for me. But as I started to watch him and other leaders pour into their people, my purpose, my why became clear to me. But that moment, just like you talked about how God entered your life during a tragic accident, while this, my situation certainly was not as dire, he entered my life on that day and said, Steve, there's a better way. And so that was the catalyst through adversity, which allowed me to start to discover my purpose and my why. And I've never lost sight of that. I've certainly fallen, but I've never lost sight of that. Now, you said that was Darnell, right? Darnell Martin. He was based in Chicago. He's no longer with us, but I write about him in my book because he was a critical leader in my life at the right time. Yeah, that is such a beautiful example. That truly is a legacy. But let's kind of think back, right? Darnell, operating in business, young man that he knows, this guy, Steve, who just got fired, doesn't even ask you why probably maybe even knew the backstory, didn't care, but he saw something in you at the time that you weren't seeing in yourself. And he said, Steve, I'm going to take you under my wing and I'm going to bring you up here and give you this opportunity. You know, and just think about the ability that each one of us have and everything that we do, every interaction we have out there, when we're seeing the best in people, when we're giving people opportunity, when we're looking for those things that we can bring to the surface, and all of a sudden, those, all those things going on in your life can become these pivotal moments in our life. I'm actually thinking of a couple conversations like that that I had that were transformational. I mean, my success in business, I'll, I'll never forget this, Steve. I was actually in a, a sales meeting. I'd been in the Navy, and what happened is I got out. And I was not comfortable in business. I felt totally out of my element. And the CEO hired me to be the head of sales. And I'd been in the sales organization for like a year. I'm like, this guy's an idiot. Like, what's, <laughs> like, why did he give me this title and have me there? And we're meeting with a Fortune 100 company. It was like the kind of the Facebook and Amazon of the time 20 years ago, a company called Digital River. You might know of it. And their entire, their C-suite. And the night before the meeting, Tim looks at me and says, hey, you're going to run the whole meeting tomorrow. <laughs> I didn't sleep all night. I was freaked out. I put together the whole pitch book. Mm -hmm. And Steve, I started out in that meeting. And literally, as I started to talk, I threw up in the back of my throat. I was wow. so nervous. And the only thing I had in front of me was hot coffee. So then I have this terrible coughing fit. And this is in front of the C-suite of Digital River and my CEO, Tim. This is my first meeting with Tim. And then I start like stuttering and going through the pitch book and Steve just, or Tim reaches over and just closes my book and takes over the meeting. I'm like, what am I going to tell my wife? I'm getting fired. I got to find a new, like, this is all I'm thinking about for the rest of me. I just wanted to get out of there and we're walking back to the car and he goes like, what happened in there? And I'm like, I don't even know what I said. And we're sitting in the car. I couldn't even make eye contact with him. I'm, I'm just embarrassed. I'm looking out the window. He goes, let me tell you what happened in there. John, you were so focused on yourself and trying to look good. You were not focused on wow. them and what problem we're trying to solve and adding value. That is why you got sideways. And he goes, next time, 
I think you're going to knock it out of the park. I'm like, what? Next time he goes, yeah. yeah, he goes, I think I just spent a million dollars on your training. Cause it was about a million dollar deal that we never got Steve, by the way. I think I just spent a million dollars on your training. So there's no way I'm letting you go now. Yeah. One man who saw something in me that I didn't see coming out of the Navy into a business career. I can tell you right now that that was the inflection point where everything just started going in the right direction. And think about this, John, you will never forget Tim. When no. Tim long gone, you will share that story in his name. And my sense is you're not the only one he's impacted that way. My sense is there are other Johns out there that he impacted. And here I am talking about Darnell Martin from 30 years ago, who's been long gone. I'm still talking about him and writing about him in my book. That is a life that's well lived. That's a life and legacy of impact. It is now you titled the book Uncompromising. Now, what does uncompromising mean to you? Well, as you know, we're taught to compromise from being a little child. And I'm not saying you shouldn't compromise, but we talked about this notion, John, that the two most important days in your life is the day you're born. And the second is when you find out why. And whenever that happens for you, when you find out why you've been placed on this earth, that is what you pursue with uncompromising vision, focus, tenacity. That is what you're uncompromising about. So once you find out what your why is, that is what you're uncompromising. And we talked about my mother and my journey. She clearly identified her why and she was ruthless. She was uncompromising. This was not a democratic household, John. There was no such thing as a timeout. There was a wake-up call with a belt, or I don't know if people still do that, but there was one sheriff in town, and she was ruthless. We had to be in the house. When those street lights came on, we had to be in the house, and our noses were pressed against the window watching all the other kids playing outside at night. She didn't care. And there were moments, John, I'm sure I didn't you did like not that. like that at the time, did you? I did not like my mother very much. <laughs> but what's interesting, John, the older I become, the smarter she becomes because I can see the wisdom. And so for each and every one of us, when we identify our why, and usually it comes through adversity, that is what you're uncompromising. And in the book, I talk about how I found my fight and what are the seven pathways that I adhere to to make sure I stay focused on my why and not uh, compromise my integrity and myself in pursuit of my purpose and why? That is the premise of the book. And that's why we labeled it uncompromising. Well, you know, I love that. And I think, you know, getting to that place where you really understand your purpose, you understand your why, it is a process. I, that's what I wrote my entire book on. And I would love to share your story of what transpired, what came together where you just knew that you knew that you knew that, you know, this is it. Because I think a lot of people just feel like, you know, 10 being like, I'm completely certain one, I have no clue. I would bet most Americans surveyed people in this audience right now would be somewhere between a three and a six on that scale. And they'd it's, love to even go up a plus one. Like, you know what? I'm getting closer to some clarity on that. Yeah. I think it comes down to your journey. But I go back to this notion that what would you do for free, John, 
that you're somewhat good at. I mean, we read about a Michael Jordan and some of these folks, if they were not being paid millions of dollars, they would be playing basketball. There's no doubt in my mind that Michael Jordan, when he was coming up, if he was making $1,000 a week, would play basketball. So that's the first premise. Normally it comes through adversity, but it is a process that evolves. It never, the core of it stays the same, but the way you move forward, for example, in my new job at Comcast, I'm out of the day-to-day operations of the business. And that's one of the reasons I wrote my book. I could not have written this book when I was in the midst of leading and managing 30,000 employees and $18 billion in revenue across 13 you know, large states in the Western part of the United States. But as, my, as I created more space in my schedule, serving others took on a different look. So it's always evolving, but the core of it never changes. And John, I would challenge anyone that the majority of the purpose and why that we all have involves others. And it's very rarely serving ourselves. I will guarantee you that it will evolve into something where you're serving someone else, you're doing something else for someone else, you're making a positive impact on someone else. And through that process, that's how you get fed. There's an old adage that leaders eat last. I think there was actually a book with that title. This idea of feeding others is how you get fed. I'll give you a story. Thanksgiving dinner is a big deal in our family. Everybody has to bring something. Even my bachelor brother has to learn how to put the bread in the oven and turn on the oven. So my wife and others taught him to do that. But everyone has to bring something. In my job at Comcast, I was the one to make sure all the audio stuff worked well at our home and and all of that. But think about this, John. My sister-in-law brings her, you know, pecan pie. My mother brings her special sweet potato pie. My wife brings her stuffing. And so think about when everybody's contributing and bringing something to the table, we all eat more. We're not socialists here. We're capitalists. But this idea that the more we all contribute, the more we all and we all get fed. And so that's how you start to develop your purposes. It is an evolution. The key is to stay woke enough to see it when it's presented to you. And that's why one of my practices every morning through reflection and prayer is how I gain clarity. So this is not something you're going to go read a book. You have to sit with yourself, reflect and pray, and God will unveil to you why he put you on this earth. You just have to be patient. Yeah, and you are spot on, Steve. I think that key element is it has to include others. It has to be bigger than yourself because, you know, before my accident, I was at the top of my game professionally and everything from the outside in. Like I had hit all the benchmarks that they say that's what so you are the perfect picture. You look perfect from the outside in, you know, my marriage, my wife, my house, you know, stuff. They're like, Ramstead's got it nailed. I don't think I'd ever been more miserable. I, I describe it as a place of smoldering discontent because you know what I was trying to do? I was trying to meet everybody else's expectations What that meant was the focus was on me. I was trying to do this. I was trying to get this recognition. And what I realized was, is in that when my purpose was just about myself and how do I either become the king or get more or do more and get recognized for it, that's why I had, it was like this slow fade 
from being really focused and passionate to just showing up every day and just trying to outwork everybody around me, which became a point of pride. And then when everything got reset and I realized, you know what, as I started thinking about these amazing people that have sewn into my life, that is the reason I want to keep living and really make use of the second chance. But in that, I have a question for you because it was, you know, I was just talking to my son who's 23. And I think that whole period, and you have so many employees coming into Comcast and the people you get to influence right now. I think that your focus and the focus that I have now on really my success. Well, I love what Bob Buford says. I mean, this is perfect because you and I both know Bob who wrote the book Halftime. He says, my fruit grows on other people's trees. And there's so many people that say, well, uh, that doesn't make sense because then if it's my fruit's growing on somebody else's tree, how do I enjoy the fruit? And I think that mindset shift from self to what you just described, it's kind of a key element, I think, in really authentically connecting to purpose. So when you're working with groups, whether it's certain employee groups or whatever it happens to be, how do you help them make that shift in how they're thinking, maybe their attitudes toward this? Well, one is you do it by giving to them. Think about this, John, when someone pours into you and they want nothing in return, they don't want a favor, they're not charging you, your time is their time, their time is your time. And the more you start to pour into people with no agenda other than to help them be the best they can be, it starts to open them up to the possibilities of what else can I do? Someone has poured into me, just like Darnell Martin with me, just like Tim with you. The more people pour into you, you feel a sense of responsibility to pay it forward. And sometimes it comes later in life. Sometimes it doesn't happen overnight. But when good things happen to you, when people show you love and caring and respect, it has an impact on you. But at the same time, John, they don't let you take shortcuts. They still have a high bar of expectations for you. So they can show you love, just like Darnell did. But the expectation bar was actually even higher for me, which then starts to create this cyclical thing where you now want to go make a difference in others. So what I try to do as leaders is, even if we're together for five minutes, John, I'm only focused on you for that five minutes because that's what's important right then and right there. Yeah. And, you know, everybody, it was so cool. You know, we started our before we hit record and we jumped on. And usually I have a whole bunch of things that I want to, you know, talk about with the guest and frame things up. And Steve, you just took over the conversation and you made it all about me. And I got to tell you, I just want to point that out because you know what, folks, Steve doesn't just talk this stuff. I can just tell in a brief time. You live this out. Now, in that, I'm guessing over your journey, there has been some big highs and some big lows. There's been times when you've been challenged. You've been either tempted to or wavered in, you know, you've been asked to waver by the, either the circumstances, the people, whatever. Would you mind sharing a point where, you know what, where this living a life uncompromising for you is really tested? Yeah, well, you know, having a child, John, I mean, just to get really personal, we felt we were doing everything the right way. We took care of ourselves. We took care of our body. We tried to be mentally prepared. My wife is a, a minister. She goes into prisons. 
and preaches the gospel. So we felt we were living a life that God would be proud of us. Uh, we were living a God-led life. And when that didn't happen, and the number of times, John, that we moved, because in my corporate career, my wife and I, we moved 11 times across the United States. And she would find a room or a door, and she would always put a pink and blue ribbon on that door because she was visualizing for our family that that would be the nursery for our children. And when you do that 11 times and you keep doing that and you say, and then you struggle and it doesn't happen, it challenges your faith. You're like, what else do we have to do? I'm pouring into these folks. I'm living the life that I, I believe I should live. And so we're taught it's not on our timetable. It's on God's timetable. And this idea of being patient and not losing faith was probably one of those examples that challenged my faith the most. And fortunately, I had my wife whose faith never wavered, and that allowed me to refine, shall we say, my faith. And then when I received that phone call from her as I was traveling to give me the great news, it was just an unbelievable feeling. And then to have this little boy born on my birthday was just an affirmation that God has his own timetable. It's not on our timetable. He knows when we're ready. And he's preparing us for what he has prepared for us. And so maybe it just took us a little longer to be get prepared to be parents. Uh, but boy, what a great feeling. So that's one moment, John, or along my journey, that was probably the most challenging. Yeah. And, you know, in that, you know, as you went through that, looking back, is there anything through that that you learned about yourself, Steve? Well, it's one of these things that, and I, this has really helped me as a leader, it is okay to be vulnerable. The number of nights that I went to my wife and, and, and sometimes in tears, and she would be in tears sometimes herself because none of us are immune. But the more I show vulnerability, the more I share with my wife my, what I was nervous about, the stronger it made our relationship. And I find this in business, the more I can be vulnerable with my team and my leaders to show them that I'm human, that I have my own worries and concerns, that attracts them to me and what we're trying to do even at a greater level. It's hard to hate someone, John. It's hard to not be inspired someone that has a face. See, I can easily say the U.S. government is this or the post office is this. Because when it's faceless, I can have a certain feeling. But when you display vulnerability, you're putting a face on you. And that is what connects people to each other. And so whether it's a husband and wife relationship or a boss subordinate relationship, whatever that is, the more you can show vulnerability in the right way and at the appropriate time, it actually puts a face on you, which draws people to you. And that's when special things can happen. Yeah, no doubt. Now, how do people connect with you? Find the book. Help us uh, stay connected with you, Steve. Well, first of all, thank you, John, for this opportunity. My website is stevewhitespeaks.com. Please go there. You can uh, find all my social media platforms. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. You can go to my website. You can see all of that. You can go back and look at all my blogs. 
You can also pre-order the book. The book is scheduled to release, John. And this is, let me share this with you. The book is scheduled to release. Originally, it was January 25th, then February 8th, and now February 22nd, 2022. 2 22 22 is the date to release the book. The biblical meaning about that is fresh starts, and it has a significant meaning that I kind of walked into. This was not by on purpose. And so the book will formally be released on February 22nd, 2022, but you can pre-order it on Amazon or any place else you order your books. But I hope um, all of our listeners will take a look. You can go on my website, get a good sense of the book, and I hope you will be inspired enough to purchase it. Well, and, you know, right now, everything that we've gone through as a society and, and just this ever-evolving things that are happening in our workforce and our families and our homes with everything that's going on. Think about this, folks out there listening. Why is this so important? How would you feel if you were so connected to your why, to your purpose? And you knew that now you had a lens through which you could run everything in your life, your attitudes towards somebody, how you react to a situation, the decisions you make. How many of us know exactly what we should be saying yes to and saying no to in our life? When we don't know, I think, our purpose and our core values, how God wired us, that becomes harder and harder. And I just want you guys out there. Whatever you say yes to because you're asked because you want to be nice, you are saying no to something else. You might be saying no to moving toward fulfilling your purpose. And I'm sure everybody out there, you can hear in Steve's voice, and we didn't get the time to really go deep into some of the things in the story, but man, the journey you've been through, Steve, and just where you're at right now, can you guys just hear the joy in his life? Yeah. You can feel the energy you know, in John 10, 10, Christ said that I came here to give you life and so that you may live it to the full. And how many of us out there right now go, you know what? I'm living that full life. Like I am fully alive. Like Monday morning, I wake up fired up to get out of bed. And I think maybe two people just raise their hand. Yeah. So <laughs> guess what? We need an army of people that are on fire, that are activated, that are out in the world that they're partnering with the father in the work that they're doing, whether it's at Comcast, whether it's as a coach, whether it's in the military, whether it's, I know we have people listening all over the world in Rwanda and Indonesia and Lebanon. And if you guys just heard that, right, there is a plan in the net. And here has been always been my focus, Steve, as I've worked on this process is just trusting God, figuring out who he made me to be, and for today, what is that next small step that I need to take in order to just make a little bit of progress? Because you know what, folks, we totally overestimate what we can get accomplished in a year, but we underestimate what we can accomplish in our lives and in this world over 10 years. It's been 10 years since my accident, and what's happened is beyond anything I ever hoped or expected for. And with that, Steve, I'd love to turn it over to you and just leave us with a, a, you know, a few closing thoughts as we wrap up. Well, you know, John, first of all, I love what you just said, and you are an inspiration. And I'm so glad God put us two together because my sense is we'll be talking uh, regularly. But I want to just leave everyone with this notion. Every decision has to be a conscious decision. Mm -hmm. So, for example... Every year, at the end of the year, my family, Barbita, Stevie, and I, we go away on vacation. 
And part of our vacation routine is we pick our headline for the year. We said, okay, at the end of the year, big newspaper article, what do we want our headline to say? And do you know what we decided to do this year, John? Because it is a conscious decision. We said as a family, our headline is we choose joy. That is our headline. My nine-year-old son was at school telling the teacher that he chooses his headline for the year is he chooses joy. So this joy, isn't you know, we all are rough days. I'm not, I don't want anybody to think they're not tough days or rough days, disagreements, family misunderstandings. That all happens at every household. But if you wake up every morning making this decision that I choose joy, that puts you on the right path. So as you think about your why, every morning wake up and say, I choose today to better understand why I'm placed on this earth. And maybe each day a little bit, God will unveil himself to you. But each day, make that conscious decision. And so, John, thank you for allowing me to be with you today to talk about my book, but more importantly, to talk about what God has done in our lives. Hopefully, if, like you said, if just one person, if one person's inspired by our conversation today, this has been time well spent. Yeah, so reach out, let us know, go to Steve White Speaks, connect with what Steve's doing, but we need more focus, more direction, more activation, and here's what I know reading scripture is the the mystery of God's will is something he wants to reveal to us, and he reveals it to his friends, and he wants more than anything for us to be in friendship and relationship with him, and in that, all these things that might slow you down or concern you, trust me, there is a path and a plan to move you towards something awesome. I mean, truly awesome. So Steve, thanks for what you're doing, man. It's been great to meet you. And I really look forward to our next conversation. That's going to be great. Thank you, John. 